your long-suffering with us and your patience with us, your tolerance with us. And Lord, we thank you for your promise that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Continue, Lord, to work in our hearts and our minds. But Lord, open our eyes that we will not walk blindly, Lord. Open our eyes that we might see our failures, that we might see the victories in Jesus Christ, that we might see not so much our visions, but your vision of what you would have us to do as a church and as individual Christians in your kingdom. Minister to us, Lord. Keep us on this straight and narrow. And we'll give you praise and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. It's, oh, let me bring you up to date with Donna. And she's back home and she's doing good. Three days in the hospital. She had blood clots in the lungs. And uh, they were able to remove those. But uh, she's home. And James is home where he be too with her. And God kept her. God kept her. That's all we can say. All the doctors can say. God kept her. And it's amazing. And uh, they're at home. Both of them are resting. If you get a chance, just send Donna Wells a little get well card. Many of you who have been sick may have received a card from her. Now, it's her turn to receive a card from us. So don't forget her. Amen? Amen. Now, the work of the church is twofold. And oftentimes, we pick what we think might be the easiest work to do. And somewhere in history, the church kind of like went off the path. And the church began to say, and this is where some may take odds with me, I think history and scripture will prove exactly what I'm going to say. The church's work is not only to save souls. And yet, That is the main work, but it is not the only work. And part of our problem today, I believe, is because the church went into just this one mode of just trying to save people. We let go of the other work of having a powerful impact on society. When you begin to hear people say they came out of the closet, you have to ask this question. What kept them in the closet? There was a time that the church had such a voice in the community that people stayed in the closet. Because the church has such a strong presence in the community, 
certain things were not accepted. Because the church was there and present. Even people who did not believe in God gave a certain respect for God. Today in our culture, in our society, there is no reverence, there is no fear, there is no respect, there is no honor about God. And people do whatever they want to do because there is no consciousness of God. Now, concerning the work of the church, somewhere in history we lost our way. People of the church began to perform one function. And that one function was basically this. Save souls. Save souls. Save souls. And we forgot about the work of the community. So you would hear this type of statements. What am I going to do? Just make people better to go to hell? No. You make and you help people to live a better life not based on whether they believe in Jesus or not but for this purpose it makes a better life also for everybody all society in which we are a part of and we'll see that in Jeremiah 29 and when the church stopped functioning in society and went off to itself, historically, you can see a point and then we start falling because there's no consciousness in society. And the church separated itself from all the things that it used to be involved in. Education, services to the community, Red Cross was started by Christians. Education, basically, by Christians who believed that everybody should be educated, not just some. But we allowed the world to keep pushing us off, pushing us back. And somewhere we didn't stand up. We didn't stand up. And now the world is in complete control and charge. And the church is still saying, we don't get involved, we don't get involved, we don't get involved. Jesus came from heaven to earth to get involved. Now understand this, not just in our salvation, but in our everyday life. in our everyday life. And the church decided to perform one function of the church rather than both functions of the church. Go with me to Matthew 23, 23. I want you to hear what Jesus says. It's almost like mama would say, go wash the dishes. 
Now, in that statement, in our home, when mom said, go wash the dishes, she didn't mean just wash the dishes, but she meant wash the dishes, dry the dishes, put the dishes up. So if your job was to do the dishes, wash the dishes, you knew you had to wash, dry, and put it away. And some of us would think, well, I mean, I got to do is wash and put them on the countertop and let them sit there. That's not doing the dishes. Washing, drying, putting them away. Here in Matthew, in verse 23 also, chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you teachers of the law and you Pharisees and hypocrites. First take note of what he called the so-called religious group at that time. Hypocrites. A lot of the world called the church a bunch of what? Hypocrites. We say one thing and we do something else. And he calls them hypocrites, the religious leaders of that day. You gave a tenth of your spices. Okay, you did well there. You gave a tenth. Most of you come into church and you give your tithes, you give your offerings. Here's the question. What else do you give? Because you drop something in that box, because you give God a tip of your salary, what else are you giving? What else are you doing? And sometimes in church, when we think we have given our tithe, we've done our duty. Two things we have to do. Show up, pay our tithes, that's it. That's it. There's much more to being a Christian than coming to church and paying your tithes. Much more. Much, much more. And he says... You gave a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but, and there's that word but. Whenever there's a but there, you want to follow after that but. It catches our attention. But, but you have neglected. You need to underline that word neglected. And you need to ask yourself this question. Am I neglecting anything in my Christian life? Am I neglecting anything in my Christian life? Now understand this. The church cannot solve, one church cannot solve all the problems of society. But every church ought to be involved in solving some of the problems of society. That's why God equips the church He does not equip the church, according to Ephesians 4.11, where he says he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, that he equipped them. He did not equip the church just to serve the church. 
And oftentimes the church is only ministering to the church rather than those outside the church. The parable where the Lord talks about leaving the 99 to go get the one. Why would you leave the 99? Why would you leave them in danger? Because they're not in danger. They're safe. But that one out there is lost. And that's the one we need to go find. He did not give us these gifts to just use them on ourselves. Yes, we do use them on one another. We sharpen one another. We help one another. But they are not to only be used here. They are to be used out there. And he says, Boy, you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Now, Look what he lists as the more important matters. You've neglected justice. Are we missing justice in our society? The whole thing that I disagree with, and I know I take a hit for this, when something a crisis take place with the police and somebody else. We, we, we use the word justice, but the word ought to be vengeance. We're not really seeking justice. We're seeking vengeance sometimes, rather than justice. Justice is not in the sum of money that I might receive. That doesn't justify anything. That doesn't change any law. That just satisfies who? Me. But if I'm seeking justice, I'm not just seeking justice for self. I'm seeking justice for a community, for a society. That things would be corrected, that all people would be affected by that correction that takes place. That's justice. And he says... You left justice go and you left mercy go and and faithfulness. You should have done those things. Not just giving your tenth, not just showing up and worshiping. But you should have done these things too. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting I need to underline that word neglecting. Neglecting the former. The church cannot just win souls and forget about community. Let me give an illustration if I can. The church has a job to educate. To educate the people of God, the saints of God. But it also has a job to educate out there. Why? Because what's out there will eventually come where? Hopefully in here. So if a child out there cannot read, and they come into the church, and we say pick up the Bible and read, and the child can't read, 
Our excuse is this. The educational system failed me. Let me ask you something. Are you part of that educational system? Or did you see the need? And did you do something out here to help change it so that when they come in here, they can pick up that Bible and read? Because society lacks in something. Does not take the church off the hook because we say, that's not our job, that's their job. No. Go back and study again education and see who started it. The Christians did. And we left it. And we left it. And we have left a lot of things, and that's where, as I shared last week, some a lot of parachurch organizations came up because the church stopped functioning, because all the church was interested, just souls, and a lot of parachurches began to operate in things out in the community and out in the world where the church had removed itself. He says, don't neglect these things. Should we be involved in seeking what justice really is? Should we be involved in really showing mercy? Should we be involved in showing what is really faithfulness? And then we can go on down the list with many other things. Go over to Jeremiah 29. And some may say, well, that's an Old Testament. That's just speaking to Israel. No, that's speaking to God's people. 29.7. Israel's in captivity, in slavery. Now, answer this question. Why should I be interested in the people who oppress me? Why should I care what happened to the people who oppressed me? Why should I care about those who enslave me, mistreat me? If you are saved, and if you are a child of God, it's not about how you are being treated. It's about how can you change the effects of that one who is mistreating you. How can you change their mind? How can you change their outlook? How can you change? As long as you hate with hate, those who might hate you, you won't change a thing. But here's where we take 1 Corinthians 13. That's hard to do. And Jesus said, love your enemy. And then in 13, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love conquers all things. Love conquers all people. Love conquers all problems. Love conquers. There has to be a real love in order to overcome. Not a selfishness. Not about me but a real love and concern about that other person, even that person who is lost. So in Jeremiah 29, 7, he says, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Why should I look for the peace and prosperity of this city that's holding me captive and calls me a slave and i got to work for them? And yet, God, you're telling me to seek their peace? 
I don't want them to have peace. I don't want them to have prosperity. I want them in bankruptcy. I want them in turmoil. And he says to his people, catch this now. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Now catch catch this other part and really underline this other part. Because if it prosper, you too, you too, you too will prosper. What is God saying? What goes on out there affects also what's going on in here. So what's going on in here should be affecting what is out there. Because he makes it very clear what's out there is going to come in here and have an effect on us. And that's why we see the church leaning more and more away from Jesus into prosperity thinking, into this type of teaching, into that, rather than the teaching that really surrounds Jesus Christ. There's a church in Columbia that dropped everything else. And their whole thing was to just go after people that are lost. It grew from 200 to over 2,000 people with three people on staff. They said they stopped their marital counseling. They stopped their family counseling and dealing with the family. And they stopped their AA meetings. And they went after this one thing. They grew in people, but what they recognized after 2,000 people in church, that they had 2,000 people that were in a mess. Now understand this. Just because you accept Jesus Christ, he's not a miracle cure. Just because you asked him into your heart, that doesn't straighten out your marriage unless you follow his instructions. Just because you accept Jesus Christ into your heart doesn't straighten out your finances and make you a rich person unless you start following biblical principles about finances. Just because you accept the Lord Jesus Christ does not win favor with your boss because you're saved now, but it's how you now follow the rules in the scripture of how to be a good employee and really work as unto the Lord, not to your boss. It's how we entertain God's instructions and put them into practice in our lives. Do we see the real benefit of that? And we don't see the benefits of it until we start practicing what the Word says. And that can be hard and difficult because oftentimes we don't believe God's Word. We'll read it, but we don't believe it. 
I'm going to take you back. Let's go back to John chapter 14. We read this last week. We want to read it again this week because this is how you really be, how you really come to know Jesus Christ. Go to verse 21. And this verse has just been sticking with me the last couple of weeks. How many of you here know about Obama? Who was Obama? Everybody can tell you he was the president of the United States. How many of you know Obama? Personally, you know about him, you read about him, you know about Jesus, you read about Jesus, but do you know, do you really know Jesus? And this verse gives us the secret of how we really get to know him rather than just know about him. So he says in that verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them. So first I got to get in God's word and learn what? His commands. What is he asking of me? What does he want from me? What's his purpose in saving me? How am I to live as the servant of God? I got to ask myself some questions. And what does he want me to do? Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. So what does it demonstrate? It demonstrates my love for him. My real love for him. That I really care about him. That I really love him. Anybody who's married who only come home once a week, there's a problem. How many of you convinced your wives that you really loved them if you only came home once a week? And you're telling them, I love you, but you ain't show up one day out of the week. You're not a long-distance truck driver. You're not in the military somewhere. You're local, right there. But you only come home once a week. Is there a problem with that? See? And Jesus says, you demonstrate your love for me because you want to know my commandments for your life, what I'm asking of you, on how you're going to serve me, you want to know. And he goes on and he says, Keep losing my place. These eyes are getting bad. Whoever has my commandments and obey them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too. So you're going to be loved by who? The Father and the Son. Now let's go a little further. And I too will love him. Now look what's going to take place. This is the part you want to underline. This is how you get to know him. And show myself to him. Show myself to him. 
The promise is, if you really love me, and you really obey me, I will reveal myself personally to you. Now you really get to know me. There's that personal relationship that we talk about in Christianity. I'm having a personal relationship with him because he is showing and revealing himself to me that I might carry out his will. He's talking to me, not the whole group, but now personally to me. He's showing me what he wants me to do, how he wants me to do it. He's showing me the people that are going to assist or help. He's revealing himself and his power and his strength to me. Why? Because I'm obeying him. I'm obeying him. I'm obeying him. Now, catch this and try to picture it and understand it. God cares not only about us being his agents or his ambassadors. The ambassador represents another country. But your best ambassador not only represents his country, but cares for the country that he is sent to. And the question as the ambassador is this. How can I best represent my country and what can we do to help your country? Do you catch that? You're an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're representing the Lord Jesus Christ. You're representing the kingdom of God here in the kingdom of Satan. But the question is now, how do we best help in this kingdom of Satan those people who are there under his authority and his rule? How do we best help? How do we best serve? How do we best minister to them? Oh, that's easy. Let's just take everybody out of Venezuela and bring them to America. No. If that was the case, God would have just plucked us all off of planet Earth and took us to heaven. Rather, he sent his ambassador in Jesus Christ, sent him to us to show us a different way of life. And that we might experience his love and know his plan for us. God wants us to be his agents and he cares about us in this form of being his agents who share the saving grace of God. But he also cares for those who do not know him. Go back to this. Was there a time in your life that you didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ in the manner and way in which you know him right now? And now you got to ask this question. Did he care for you? Did he care for you? Did he love you? 
He knew that you were rebellious. He knew that you was under the authority of Satan. He knew that you was doing the will of Satan. He knew that you were living totally contrary to his word. And yet, he sent somebody to share Jesus Christ with you. He sent somebody to open up what? The word of God to you. He sent somebody to pray with you. He sent somebody, not in their love, but in his love, that they might show you his love. And that person was only an ambassador, an agent of God's saving grace. Now, what we have to look at is what sometimes the church doesn't speak very much of today. God's common grace. God's common grace. Our goal is not only to build up the church with him, but also a society, a community. And that's where the church has failed has fell down. And we're asking ourselves, how is it that these people are doing all these mass shootings? We, we woke up this morning and, and on news up in Cleveland, nine people were shot. This is happening over here. This is happening over here. Have you ever given thought that these people never, never, never wake up with a thought God cares about me. God cares about me. Or wake up even with a thought, okay, what does God have planned for me today? We live today in a society more so than any other time that the gospel, yes, is going out over your Internets, over TV, over everything, but yet the society is God consciousness. There's no consciousness of God. No consciousness of God, no fear of God, no reverence of God. And when man loses the thought that there is someone bigger than he is that he has to give an account to, then at that point there is no other authority in his life but who? He himself. And he's free to do anything he wants to do because there's no consciousness of God or giving an answer to God, or a fear of God in the mind. In the mind. And there was a time in America that America had a consciousness of God. That's why years ago, the blue laws, and some of you weren't even born at that time, all businesses had to be closed on Sunday. Because there was a consciousness of God. A reverence towards God. And today, it don't matter if it's Sunday or not. 
I can still conduct all my business, go play golf, do whatever I want to do, and have no thought about God. Our goal is not only to build up the church with him, but also a society to the glory of God, which may include, now and this is the part we don't like as Christians, that may include many people who may not know Jesus. Now, here's the scary point on this. The church has become so religious that a lot of people think, just as long as I'm religious, I'm going to go to heaven. Religiousity will not get you into heaven. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And most of us, we talk about what we believe, but the problem is this. We don't show it. We say we believe it, but we don't speak it in our families, to our children. When's the last time you sat at your dinner table and talked about God as the main subject at dinner? When's the last time you sat with your family, turned the TV off in your living room, in your family room, and picked out a subject about God? And the whole family is talking about God. Well, you say, my kids don't want that. They're against that. They ain't got time for that. And ask you if they had time. I didn't ask you if they want to. I asked, when's the last time you've done it? When's the last time you and your wife have sat and talked about God? And what is your purpose as you perceive God in your life? See, because we ourselves have forgotten to talk about God in our lives, in our homes, with our children. Once we step outside the house, (laughs) Satan has won his battle. We're not going to say a thing. Why? We're not even talking about it in our homes. We're not sharing it even in our homes. That's why a lot of Christian kids who grew up in Christian homes have walked away from the Lord because even in their home, there was not a serious discussion about God or consciousness. Your child may not believe in God, But there's a consciousness there. So in Proverbs it tells us, train up a child in the way they should go. Not the way that they want to go or like to go or things they want to do, but train them up in the way they should go. Even when they're old, even though they depart, they have a north star to bring them back. They have something in there that brings them back to God. But you never talk about it. You never share it. You never discuss it. You never have no subjects about it. Then what do they have? Only what the world has taught them. Only what Satan has taught them. And they're at liberty to believe whatever they so desire to believe. How many of you even know what your children believe? How many of you even know what your grandchildren believe? I'm not saying sit down and try to make them believe what you believe. 
but are you at least talking to them about what you believe? And see, in the church, what may include many people who may not know Jesus, how many people sit in church and don't know Jesus? And don't know Jesus. Now, let's close out with these two verses, these three verses. I want to get to Ephesians, but we'll pick up with Ephesians next week. But go to 1 Corinthians because we do need to understand that we're in this not alone. And sometimes as the church, we've got to ask this question, do we involve God in our visions and the things that we want him to do? Is he involving us in in his visions and things he wants us to do, is there this involvement with one another? It can't be, oftentimes as we say, a one-way street. God's looking for us to be involved with him. Why? He's involved with us. So in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, he says this, For we are God's fellow workers. Well, if you're God's fellow workers... What are you working at? What are you working on? What have you joined in with him in building or doing? He says you're a fellow worker. What does a worker do? They work. They do something. They're active. They're not just a pew sitter. They're actively performing, doing something. But we have taught ourselves to come in and sit. Guess what? Many of us have taught taught ourselves to do that on the job. We come in and we want to sit for eight hours, five days a week, and get paid for sitting there. A lot of us come into church and just sit but we're looking for God to bless us, to bless us, to bless us, to pay us, to pay us, to pay us. You can't earn your salvation. That's already been taken care of. But you can earn the favor of God by what you do and how you do it. It's to him. Just look at the talents. When he left, he gave one this amount, this amount, and the other one just went off and hid it and did nothing. And he took it from her. But the others, because they invested and they were busy, he gave them more. He gave them more. And he says, you are my fellow workers. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. Now, he puts two words in there. Field and building. The field is always something that has to be what? Cleared. Has to be made ready building. Property over there, boy, we had to tear down the old house. We had to 
take the trees out the way. We had to take the shrubbery out the way. And this week they set the plans that next April we may start to build over there. But all that had to be taken care of, first of all, in order for the building. You are God's field. He's getting all the scrubberies and trees and the junk out of your life. Sometimes you have to tear down before you can what? Build. You're his field. And then he says, you're my building. I'm building you. I'm building you. I got to clear this junk off the way. You're the field. I'm working in your life. I'm clearing this stuff. But you're my building and I'm going to build you. We're all being built. And when we look at Ephesians next week, we're going to see two buildings. One building. There's only one building. But there's two buildings that are being worked on that we want to see. I never saw them before. And sometimes when you're reading God's word, you've got to slow up and reread. But there's two buildings going on. In Ephesians 2, 20 through 22. I didn't get as far as I wanted to get today. So we'll have to push some things on back. But we'll pick back up. But God is interested in those who are lost. He's interested in the community. The church is the light. Where at? Not just in here, but out there in the darkness. We're the salt. Not just here. We're preserving out there. And we need to understand that. And your work is not just here in the church, and that's been part of our problem. Is that we think the only thing we got to do is work in the church. No. And it's not just about winning souls or saving people. No. Yes, that is high on the list. Yes, that is important. Yes, that could be the number one thing. Yes. But that's not all it is. There's a work for us out there. And I'm going to leave you with this. Now, I want you to really think about it. Scripture doesn't tell you to save anybody. It tells you to do what? Witness. Just be my witness. Who does the saving? Holy Spirit does the convicting and God says no man comes to Jesus unless I what? Draw him. No matter how much witnessing you do to him. Unless God draws them to Jesus they will not be saved. Your job is to witness. How do you witness? In your works and your deeds and the things that you do. 
and your work, your deeds, your behavior, your kindness, your good deeds, whatever those might be. Maybe your witness is just taking a pie across the street to someone who just moved in. Maybe your witness is to witness to somebody who's over there that you know haven't seen their kids for about a year and they're old and they would just enjoy somebody knocking on their door and just communicating with them. Elaine and I, we witnessed to some kids next door to us. And I hired them to help me rebuild my deck, all three of them. And their grandfather, he told me, he said, you know, I was trying to talk to my kids, and my kids told me, my grandkids told me, we got to go to bed because we got to go to work early tomorrow morning over Pastor Brown's house. We got to be there at 8 o'clock. So we got to get in bed. When they moved out to Green, they asked their mom this. Well, they bought a good section. They said, can we bring the Browns out here and build a place for them to be here with us. Now, the thing is this. Did we have an effect on their life? As an ambassador of God, as an agent of God, as a witness of God, who are you having an effect on? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are building your church, no matter what it looks like, Lord. Whether it looks like we're going forward and growing, or whether it looks like we're small or this or that, you're the still the head of your church. And I pray that we would be a people of God, that we would learn to be faithful to you in the work that you've given us. And help us, Lord, to be steadfast, always abounding in the things of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for how you're yet going to use Akron Alliance Fellowship. Thank you, Lord, that really the story is just beginning. Thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you're going to keep this church till the very end. Thank you, Lord for all that you're doing in each and every one of our lives. We are your people. We are your workmanship. Lead us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Above him 